Welcome to the Melissa Rx Script Podcast, the show that brings you lively conversations with leaders, colleagues, and friends in healthcare, pharmacy, and beyond. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast. I'm Melissa Muir Corrigan, and I'll be your host. This is episode six of the Melissa Rx Scripts Podcast, and thanks for listening. We're recording this episode during very difficult times in our world. Please join me in gratitude for the frontline healthcare workers, which includes pharmacists, student pharmacists, and pharmacy technicians. I also appreciate the doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, cleaners, grocery store workers, everyone out there that's working tirelessly every day. Thank you. Well, now on today's podcast, I'll be talking with Lisa Wilhelm. Lisa and I are going to be discussing many things, including her experiences practicing pharmacy at Penn State Health, Milton S. Hershey Medical Center in Hershey, PA primarily in medication safety and regulatory compliance. I'll give you a bit of an introduction to Lisa, and then she's gonna tell you a little bit about her background, her career, and her experiences of life in general, which also includes her being a big Bon Jovi fan. Lisa and I share an interest in meditation and mindfulness. A few years ago, Lisa completed a two-year training program in heart rhythm meditation from the Institute for Applied Meditation on the Heart in Tucson, Arizona, and she's also a certified heart rhythm meditation instructor. Lisa offers meditations and meditation classes at the hospital, the College of Medicine, and in the local community. Lisa's interest in meditation is beyond personal. She incorporates teaching basic mindfulness and heart rhythm meditation practices for stress reduction, and boy do we all need that right now, as well as to improve focus, attention, interpersonal communication, and connection for medication safety to pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, as well as physicians, medical students, nurses, and other hospital staff. These tools are something we could all benefit from, and I look forward to learning more today. Lisa, thank you for being here with me today. Before we get into your career experiences, maybe you could tell me a little bit about your background, where you grew up, and life in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And is it really the sweetest place on earth? Thank you so much, Melissa. It's really an honor to be with you here today. And I, I really wanna echo your comments to all of the frontline workers out there, all of the essential employees in healthcare and beyond. So I'm originally from a small coal mining town in the mountains of Western Pennsylvania. I come from a fairly large family and many of my extended family still live back in that area. I love that area because we really have the epitome of all four seasons. Now the winters can be a little bit rough, but I get back there as much as I can in the summers and we camp a lot at the local state parks. So I have um, one son, he's currently a freshman at Penn State Harrisburg, and I'm very proud to say that he earned his Eagle Scouts. So we spent many years doing a lot with Scouts and my 81-year-old mother moved in with us um, a little over a year ago, so I have three generations at my house, and it's really a blessing, especially in light of what's going on in the world today. So I've been in the Harrisburg-Hershey area for many, many years, and I love this area too. It's a beautiful area. The winters are a little bit easier, 
And um, of course, you know, we're, we're relatively close to areas like Philly, New York, DC, and beaches. And it's funny that you ask about Hershey being the sweetest place on earth. And so it's, it is true that several days per month, it smells like chocolate in Hershey. And so, especially for those of us that love chocolate, it's a, it's a great way to get your palate ready for some chocolate throughout the day. We have Hershey Park here, Chocolate World, and, and several concert venues. So yes, Bon Jovi does on occasion come to Hershey. And um, what's really cool about Hershey is, um, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but Milton and Catherine Hershey were great philanthropists. They didn't have any children of their own. And so once their chocolate empire was built and, and they had a lot of, of wealth, they created the Milton Hershey School, which was originally for orphans and is still around today and provides education and um, workforce training for underprivileged children throughout the country. And the other really cool thing about living in Hershey is there's some beautiful architecture and this also stems from Milton and Catherine Hershey's philanthropy. And it's a really cool story. During the Great Depression, in order to help keep all of the tradesmen working, they funded the building of a beautiful theater and hotel in Hershey. So it's really a, a very sweet place to live. And it does smell like chocolate. And it's a great opportunity to be in this part of, of the state. Wow. Well, I really loved hearing that you have multiple generations in your home, that your mother has joined you. And congrats to your son on being an Eagle Scout. That is a big accomplishment and a lot of hard work. And I learned something new. I, you know, I knew certain facts about Hershey. And when I was out in DC for many years, clearly we spent time in Pennsylvania. And I agree with you about the four seasons that that does make it so beautiful, but it's interesting. I think if where I lived smelled like chocolate, that would probably make me want to have even more chocolate. But so that's, that's kind of a fun thing to hear that you can smell it, you know, a few times um, throughout the month when they're making it, which is, which is really neat. And the philanthropy, you know, we'll touch on that kind of during our discussion today, but to hear about the Hershey's and their giving back and helping others. And then some of the things that they started, whether it be you know, the beauty of the buildings and the architecture and then helping the underserved with job training and with the orphanage. That's just really, really, really cool. And I wasn't aware of that. So I appreciate you sharing that. You know, when we started, I shared gratitude, you shared gratitude, and we're living in these tough times, the pandemic. And, you know, you're working at a health healthcare health system facility. Um, so how are you doing? And uh, what's it like kind of on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, you know, so it's been, what, a month now since it's really kind of hit here. And, you know, it's unprecedented, uh, Melissa. And I have to tell you, you know, we're typically a very busy medical center. We have both an adult and a children's hospital. And, you know, we deal with a lot of what um, those out there are dealing with and, and typically have critical capacity. So it's stressful here, and, and we're very much accustomed to that. But the stress and the intensity is something... I've personally never experienced. Now, I'm very proud to say that, you know, our hospital and our health system mobilized very quickly. Part of that's because we already had a, a somewhat of a program in place. We are an Ebola treatment center for the region. So we have a, a special pathogens team, you know, so we mobilized to really start to look at, you know, all of the logistics and preparation. And 
you know, we're kind of fortunate because geographically we have a little bit of a buffer. Um, but just east of us, you know, in Philly and in New Jersey and New York, you know, where they're really, really struggling, we have been a little bit more fortunate just because it really does appear that the restrictions are helping to flatten the curve. We have increasing numbers, but they're not skyrocketing yet. Um, we're hopeful that people will continue to follow all of the guidelines and restrictions because it really is true, you know, the healthcare system can't, and as we see in some of those areas that are hardest hit, you know, can't really absorb this. You know, our, our, in the pharmacy, we have implemented for weeks now, we have a daily call related to COVID and just really trying to keep our arms around capacity, um, drug supplies, you know, supplies of PPE and looking at contingency plans for staffing, you know, all the things that we see out there on all of the listservs. So we've been, you know, corresponding with, with all of those and really trying to keep track of what our colleagues and other areas are doing and lessons learned. And so communication is super important from the logistical piece of it. One thing, you know, as a meditation teacher that I have, um, I've done this intermittently over the years, but um, this was an opportunity for us seeing the stress and experiencing the stress. We have implemented a mindful moment at the beginning of each one of these COVID meetings. And I'm, I'm getting positive feedback. It's helping us to stay grounded because even, you know, those of us that are in leadership um, are also struggling, you know, not just professionally, but personally with everything that's going on related to this. So we've also implemented in our department as well as in, in our whole hospital, a number of other things to try to help with this sustained stress. So obviously, as, as many places are, as many people that can realistically work remotely, you know, we've done that. And for those that cannot, um, we're trying to rotate people through. For example, we have some pharmacists that are on our COVID response team and we're trying to alternate weeks where one week, you know, they're, they're rounding with the teams and then another week they will work from home just to try to give them a little bit of a break. We're also doing that with our managers. Um, we're encouraging them to work from home one day a week just to kind of get out of the, the really high stress um, type of an environment. I'm part of a um, organization-wide staff morale team. And so we have membership from pastoral services, um, various mental health services, as well as leadership around the organization in order to try to get ahead of the, the, the tremendous strain that we have on all of our employees. You know, there's there's a lot of information that's, that gets circulated for, you know, health benefits and pay and um, people that are on home quarantine and all those types of things. But we're also really trying to highlight well-being and wellness resources. So we already had a website related to this, but we're, we're adding to it and modifying it and trying to get tools and things out there to our staff related to managing stress, options for childcare, what to do if you're concerned about your retirement and other you know, financial concerns. And then also from a mental health perspective, and, and this ties in very nicely with burnout and, and chronic stress, is trying to remove the stigma around if people are feeling very, very stressed about this pandemic, where they can go to find someone to talk to and um, really trying to remove the stigma from that. 
couple of other fun things that I think we're, we're, we're trying to do is, um, and this came from my nursing colleagues, but I've been helping with this, is we have something called a hero cart. And so three days a week, we go around, we have about six carts and we were fortunate. We got donations from the Hershey company of, of chocolate, but also we purchased snacks, fruit, cereal bars, chips, and water. And um, we also have some resources, some booklets and information on if you want to talk to someone. And we go around to all of the units in the hospital just as a small thank you to our staff. I have to tell you, it's one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. People are like, oh, thank you. It's just, it's just a little snack and some water. But people are grateful you know, because it gives them just a, a small little respite. We've also, you know, because we've had to cancel all of our meetings, we're, we're meeting a lot via Zoom and other types of platforms. We're trying to designate some COVID-free space on each unit. So when people want to take a break from either, you know, a quick break or their, their meal break, that they go to a place. And we're also trying to put some resources in there to um, almost like a little meditation room. And we're also encouraging meditation. Yeah, And then, of course, also with meditation and mindfulness, I have been working with all the various meditation teachers on campus, and we have decided to record five-minute meditations of different themes and different styles, and also a couple of longer ones, and we're making those available free on our website to staff as well. So what we're finding is that, you know, we really have to, to look at Look at this as a marathon, not a sprint. Yep. And um, and focus on the little things. You know, we're checking in with each other, offering to help, and really finding a way. Even in this this era of, um, and I like to use the term physical distancing, but to still connect. You know, on levels and, and make sure that we're that people know that that they are supported and and that they're safe. Yeah, you know, as you were talking, I heard, well, first of all, thank you for everything that you're doing. And thank you for sharing it with us and our listeners, because I think having kind of a bird's eye view at what's happening in a major health system was helpful. You know, I took away the theme of communication, that that is so essential. And then also learning about resources. And I think you really nailed it when you said that there's so many things that people could be worrying about, like, you know, what they're doing on a daily basis in their health, but benefits and all kinds of things. So I think putting resources in place, um, easy ways to answer questions. And boy, I just love the idea of the heroes cart. We know that each day there are so many examples of heroes and that you're taking the time and doing it cross-disciplinary and, you know, wandering through the hospital. I bet that's bringing some sunshine and some light. So, you know, I appreciate we can pull then as a follow-up to the episode maybe a link to your website where you have some of these meditations, but that sounds just like really cool stuff that you're all doing and know that all of us that are staying home and st- taking this pause in this time are thinking of all the people that are frontline and that are essential workers and that are, you know, going into the hospitals and the pharmacies every day. Big gratitude. So when you and I reconnected, one of the things that we have in common in a connection is that we both did executive residencies, executive fellowships. And, you know, you did yours, uh, the ASHP, Executive Residency or Fellowship in Association Management, and you had this awesome preceptor, Mary Jo Riley, who at the time was Senior Vice President for ASHP. Tell me a little bit more about Mary Jo's influence and some of the things that you learned from her. You know, I have such amazing, fond memories, and, and if you could see me, I'm just grinning ear to ear. And it was such a privilege to have that year at ASHP and interact with 
so many leaders, but Mary Jo was the primary preceptor of the, um, the residency fellowship. And, you know, one thing about Mary Jo is she had a great sense of humor, has a great sense of humor. And I was remembering my interview. So the, the interview started in the boardroom of the old headquarters. And, you know, there's this big board table and all of these executives from ASHP are sitting around there. And I'm at the head of the table and I've never had an experience like this before. And I still remember so clearly, I think it was probably a little traumatic. My knees were just knocking together. <laughs> And, yeah. um, and they were all so kind and, and you know, and, and very wonderful. I was just, you know, scared to pieces. But I never forget, you know, so they had me do a little introduction about where I was from. And I, you know, my final year of pharmacy school at the University of Pittsburgh. And Mary Jo, I think, just to really help diffuse the situation. She's like, well, you know, Joe and I and Stan, you know, we're graduates of Duquesne. And, and we won't hold it against you that the other pharmacy school in Pittsburgh, you know, and they all laughed and it just really, you know, helped to diffuse the situation. And, you know, and I have many memories of how she, she helped to bring humor in a very stressful, you know, situation. And, and it wasn't, you know, anything ever that was inappropriate or disrespectful, you know, but just trying to keep things in perspective. And I think that sense of perspective in so many capacities is what I learned from, from Mary Jo. You know, in her role, you know, she, she really helped to keep so many of, of the people at ASHP grounded. She was not in the limelight, but she had such influence and impact on all of the operations, and, and, and she was very pragmatic. And I, I really learned in being a leader or a manager to not micromanage and how she empowered her team um, and let them, you know, go and do great things. And then, you know, when they needed her help or her advice or her wisdom, which, you know, was just, there was no limit to it, you know, because of, of, of how long she had been with ASHP, you know, she just had this presence and she could read a situation, she could read people, she listened and really let people express and then would help, you know, bring it in and zero into consensus. And, and this is what the solution was. She really helped also, you know, in this, this listening and, and gathering of consensus to the importance of, of trying to see a situation from everybody else's point of view. So with this whole concept of perspective, and she always knew the backstory and the history of things. And so one of the things she always had the residents do throughout the year is to read the two big newspapers at the time. This is pre-internet, okay? <laughs> so I'm dating myself. Um, was to read the Washington Post and the Washington Times each day and compare the stories and, and how were they spun, you know, and then we would talk about it and, you know, which perspective is right. And, and, and we would just have these great discussions about, you know, reading between the lines and what's the, what, you know, what's the underlying, you know, issue and the underlying problem. And then how do you work with these, you know, different, different perspectives and get consensus so that you can move forward. I, I can't say enough wonderful things about Mary Jo. So many times, you know, great discussions. And again, just her sense of humor. She brought that levity to help diffuse the situation and get people to work together. 
Yeah, I think you nailed it, especially when you talked about her being such a good listener. And I think we're all fortunate if we can work with someone early in our career who develops people and is not a micromanager, because if you've worked for a micromanager, that can be so tough and almost devastating, you know, depending on how you're trying to grow and learn. And I feel fortunate. I, I also got to know her when I was the APHA executive resident, and she was so inclusive to me and sat me down when I was doing a visit to ASHP and said, well, let me tell you a little bit about the history and women in pharmacy and talked about the nuns, the sisters, and how Sister Gonzalez, you know, was the first female president of ASHP. And just when you think about that, they were running hospitals and running pharmacies. And I don't know, it was a world that I had just never heard of. I mean, I had gone to Catholic school, but didn't realize the significant impact of sisters in healthcare. And so I, I, I do look forward to in a, doing a future episode, you know, diving into that a little bit more. But I think she was very interested that all of us understood as you said, how things worked and why things would come together the way that they would. Yes. And, you know, I, I love that you bring up, you know, Sister Gonzalez and women in pharmacy. And as we all know, you know, in the early years, you know, it wasn't as predominantly female in, in pharmacy. And so they really were the pioneers. And Mary Jo is part of that genre and the lessons and, and how much they forged the road, you know, for all of us that, that came later. And, and, and it's just, it's just beautiful, you know, the, the stories and the history. And, and I, I love listening to, you know, the different um, historical recordings and, and reading and, and even going back with some of the, the talks and, and lectures, um, because it does help us with perspective. And that's what, you know, having a mentor like Mary Jo, you know, really helps with. Yeah. And I agree with you, too, that, you know, we think about challenging times that we have now related to women in pharmacy and women in leadership, but what they had back then, and especially the early days when they were one of or the only, and the persistence and the tenacity that they had to just get things done and to be at the table and to just, you know, deliver outstanding healthcare is really, it's really cool and super, super important. So the other thing that I talked about when I introduced you was, you know, your role in medication safety and patient safety. And, you know, that's something that's really evolved throughout your career. Tell me a little bit more about that. You know, it's, it's much more common that we're talking about it. And I think even consumers have a much better sense related to why medication safety, patient safety is so important. But, you know, we touched on this a little bit related to resilience and burnout. So tell me a little bit about what you've seen in the last few years and some kind of some history along this way. Sure. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me because when I was in pharmacy school and, and even in my residency, medication safety wasn't called out as a specific thing. Even patient safety wasn't. I mean, of course, always, you know, our goal as a pharmacist and in healthcare is, is to provide, you know, the best care for our patients. So safety is inherent in that. But when I was resident, and I, I'm very fortunate that the timing was such that was the year that Mike Cohen was forming ISMP. And Henry Manassi had released his publication on drug misadventures. And then later on in the year, when I was still there, was the first multidisciplinary conference on medication safety. And I happened to be there and, and, and got to participate in it as a result of being the resident. And when I finished my residency, I wanted to practice for a few years before 
I, you know, I had thought I'd perhaps get back into organizations. So I wanted to practice a few years before I might hopefully get back into organizational management. And I was very fortunate when I came here to work at the med center The director of pharmacy at the time was very much in touch with what was going on nationally, and he charged me with leading um, an ADE team, an adverse drug event team. And so again, this was 25 years ago, and it was also kind of being a pioneer. I mean, I never thought about it at the time. And it was very difficult because, you know, back then the culture wasn't so open and transparent. You know, I'll never forget a discussion with with a previous director of pharmacy here, and he had already transitioned to a different role in the organization. And we were trying to remove concentrated potassium chloride to not be floor stock. Oh, yeah. Important thing to do. You know, and so I'm really dating myself, you know, but I remember him saying, and this is not his fault, you know, this was this was very common at the time. And he's like, well, we haven't had any errors with that. Why would we even worry about it? So medication safety, uh, fortunately, has come a long way. I was very blessed that, you know, I was able to start that here. And uh, within a couple of years, they allowed me to create a a full-time position to med safety. And so again, this was... This was before med safety was a thing and, you know, it was challenging and I often felt like the Lone Ranger, but my director and my team were very supportive and I've seen a huge evolution in safety. And and back then, you know, the only way to really get training was to go to conferences. And I remember my first one, I think it was in 1997. So yeah, because that would have been two years after I graduated from the residency. It was the IHI Congress, you know, this is where Lucian Lieb and Don Berwick and all of those, you know, pioneers in in patient safety were presenting their data. And so this was all just coming together back then. And we were trying to, you know, translate that into medication safety and practice, you know, here at the at the pharmacy. So I did that for a couple of years and then an opportunity opened up for me at the National Patient Safety Foundation. And so I spent just a little over a year and a half with NPSF managing their pharmaceutical use, safe use initiative. And I stayed on PRN here at the hospital. But what we did is, is this was right around the time that To Air is Human, so this was 1999, 2000-ish, was released. And so what an amazing time to be focusing on medication safety and getting, you know, that experience and understanding you know, the larger, you know, global issues. And then just a couple of years later in 2001, when Crossing the Quality Chasm was released. So that was the year my son was born. And then I kind of took a step back a little bit from my career. And I came back here to to Hershey Medical Center. And, you know, healthcare was dramatically changing then, you know. Yeah, for sure. There's two big publications, so much related to you know, not just safety, but availability and quality and all the different metrics and efficiency. And so, you know, there's, there's lots of writing about how much healthcare then, you know, was changing and needed to change. And so really then, you know, the next, you know, 20 years or so, I really focused on, you know, building a med safety practice here. And, you know, one of the interesting things about the modern patient safety movement, and this is well-documented, in the literature is that, you know, early on there was this huge shift from focusing on individuals to focusing on the system. And that is so important, so very important. And it's still important today. So I'm not minimizing that. 
But what we have seen in the last several years is also a reflection back to say we have to include the individual. We can't take critical thinking and individual communication out of the equation. We're not at the point that technology um, can completely eradicate error. And, and in fact, sometimes, and we know this, you know, technology may introduce unintended consequences. Yes. And so what, what has been interesting for me in my career is, you know, really seeing this balanced approach. Um, and James Reason, you know, who's well known in the field of human error, talks a lot about latent or active failures. It's often referred to as like the sharp end or the blunt end or, you know, system versus individual. And so coincidentally, you know, as I've, I've been working in med safety, you know, I find that sometimes I wish there was a way I could get people to just stop and read the label, you know, and especially in those areas where we don't have, you know, BCMA, barcoded medication administration, or really stop and pay attention to what's on the screen. And this is not at all being punitive towards individuals. Again, it gets back to this that, you know, our processes and our, our systems and our technology are not, you know, foolproof yet. And, and we need to work on that. But we need that individual to be present in the moment. We need that individual to not be on automatic pilot mode. And so, again, coincidentally, you know, in a personal part of my life, I was learning meditation and, and, and using all that and never thinking those two worlds would collide. And I started teaching meditation here more in the context of stress, which is a, is a major benefit of meditation. But all of this stuff related to burnout was evolving in the last few years. And, you know, the third publication in the series from the National Academy of Medicine is Taking Action Against Clinician Burnout. And even though that title may not seem like it has anything to do with safety, what we have realized in the, in the, the American healthcare system particularly that burnout is a major independent predictor of medical error. Um, and it's across the board of all clinicians. And so we're all aware of this information. And so I started to bring in very simple practices, and you know, and there's others that do this, um, related to mindfulness. Because we get so busy and multitasking and distraction that we find that that really contributes to errors. And, and you know, what's interesting is, is this isn't new. When you look back at what Lucian Leib and others talked about, they talked about slips and mistakes and errors, you know, that humans make, but we were focusing more on the system then, which is important. Um, and, you know, now the data tells us that, you know, 25% of medication errors are related to slips and errors and mistakes. You know, we're humans, we're going to make mistakes. And 60% of those are related to personal factors. So if you're fatigued, if you're stressed. So this really opens up another way of evaluating medication errors, all types of errors. And that's really how I've been able to bridge, you know, my meditation practice with medication safety. Um, because it, it is important to look at interruptions and distractions. And, and there are factors of healthcare, you know, nursing has a lot related to no interruption zones. You know, the aviation industry has the sterile cockpit. So again, this isn't really new, but it's, it's starting to rise up. And so, you know, I, I, I always talk about meditation in the context of stress and burnout, but there's a very, very strong correlation with safety and error prevention as well.
Yeah, I am so glad, you know, that you shared that when we first started talking about your journey, I think it's helpful for our listeners to know that, you know, you were involved in something really from the ground up as it was being created. And so I think that's a good lesson too, that there's, you know, factors in healthcare and pharmacy that might not exist today, but that are going to move forward. And so for people not to be discouraged, and then, you know, you and I both in our career have been at these kind of seminal, whether they be conferences or uh, white papers or reports that really have changed the world, changed healthcare. And so, you know, to be a part of those and to to see where they go, yeah, that is really, really cool. And I, I do think it's interesting too, especially in the last couple of years with all the data on burnout and resilience. I know sometimes when we start talking about mindfulness or tools, people can be like, oh, that's woo-woo or that's for someone else or, you know, I wouldn't try that. And I do think the evidence-based data that's out there related to whether it be errors or uh, medication safety has really, you know, helped some people. We're seeing it being used in schools where it's made a big difference, um, especially for at-risk kids and just all, all different kinds of things. So, you know, the lessons that you learned that you shared, I think were tremendously helpful. We're drawing to a close and I really appreciate what you've shared so far on mindfulness and meditation. So while I have you, is there one prescription or life lesson you'd like to share with others or comment on in the spirit of Melissa Rx scripts? Yes, you know, I, I, I really am glad that you mentioned that, you know, the science behind, you know, mindfulness and meditation, and there's a whole body of, of evidence there. You know, I encourage folks if, if they're interested in looking at that, because meditation really helps with all the different um, domains of stress resilience. And especially in this time with the pandemic, what I've been telling folks, something that's really quick and easy to use in your day-to-day practice. And there's lots of resources out there for more formal practices and what have you. But in the heat of the moment during the day, my, um, I call this my prescription for resilience. It's a simple three-step practice. And this is, and it really encompasses some things that are common amongst many different styles and types of meditation. And the steps are breath, heart, and intention. And what I'd like to do is, is, is just take a few quick moments and sort of walk through a very simple practice. And you can do this if you have a if you're in a setting where you can close your eyes and make this a more formal practice, you can do that. But you can also do this eyes open while you're at work, you know, in a meeting or 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 even you know taking care of a patient. And so the first step in any form of meditation is breath. So you get into a comfortable upright posture. And then you connect with your breath. And all that means is that you breathe consciously. So you put your attention on your inhale and your exhale. So you're just breathing at your own natural steady rhythm. And just notice how it feels when you focus on your breath. Oftentimes people will say, well, you know, my mind wants to race and wander. That's very natural. And whenever that happens, you just gently redirect your focus to your breath. And then what we do is we try to make our breath full. And so this is what we call belly breathing. So this is where as you're inhaling, your belly is going to expand. And as you exhale, it will contract. And as a pharmacist, I love to think about the mechanism of action 
and there's many, many different ways to describe this, but the, the main takeaway point is doing deep belly breathing activates vagal tone, which is your body's natural relaxation response. So as you're breathing this nice full breath, also try to make it even. And that means your breath is balanced, that your inhale is the same length as your exhale. And you can do that by just a simple count. Just a nice, full, balanced breath. This activates all sorts of mechanisms in your body to help decrease stress. Brings you to the present moment, gets you grounded in your body. And then the next step is heart. So you continue your full, balanced breath but connect with your heart. And you can do that by placing your hand over the center of your chest. You can use your imagination and think of breathing through your heart. And we use our heartbeat as an anchor. This also helps us be very grounded in the moment, present in our body. We just deeply connect with ourselves and that helps us better connect with others. And again, there's all sorts of science behind this. And then the last piece is you're connected to your heart. And you know, our hearts are physical, they're energetic, they're emotional, but we also can set an intention. And I, I like to think of this as shifting gears. It really helps us get off that hamster wheel of what if, especially when you're really stressed. And so you can set it a positive intention for yourself or set a goal. If you're feeling particularly stressed, you can set a goal or an intention that I'm going to calm down and feel more peaceful. Because we know that that helps us function more efficiently, more effectively, helps us relate better. And it also helps us with stress, which can impact our physical health. And so as you're doing this balanced, full, heart-centered breath, just set an intention. And if you can, close your eyes and just really feel it as you're breathing in and out. You can set an intention for compassion, especially self-compassion. So breath, heart, and intention Simple practices, you can do briefly, you can do them longer. Just like exercise, if you do them more frequently, you're gonna get more benefit. Um, and there's lots of other resources out there related to mindfulness and meditation, and that's just a simple practice. And I encourage everybody to really practice these and, 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 and it will help you um, weather the storm of this pandemic. Wow, well, Lisa, Thank you. Thank you for that prescription and that we actually had a hands-on application for it. I can feel that my parasympathetic nervous system calmed down a little bit. And I could see that being a valuable thing to do first thing in the morning, because I think sometimes we're so used to getting up and checking our phones and, you know, looking at what happened the night over the night. You know, then you read a few things on social media that can just send things, make it more difficult. So I love the idea of the breathing and the intention and focus through your heart. So thank you. Well, this has been such a treat. 
for us to reconnect. Um, you know, it, when we reconnected a couple of years ago, I was so thrilled when I saw that you were um, the guest speaker for the ASHB mindfulness session, and that kind of reconnected us. And I'm just very grateful that you are on the podcast today. I want to say that this is the Melissa Rx Scripts podcast. A big shout out and thank you to my producer, Kate Cruz, with Executive Podcast Solutions. To everyone listening, I encourage you to subscribe to the show and follow us on um, social media. And have a great day. And thank you, Lisa. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Thank you, Melissa.